Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this set of lessons is from the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official recording of the Church, every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. There are several other Come Follow Me resources to help with your Gospel and Scripture study. These lessons tend to go a little deeper into the doctrine than most resources. Hopefully this resource will be different enough from the others that you'll come back each week. On the Living Room Scripture Lesson website is a digital version of the lessons, which has more material than can be mentioned in the podcast. You can download that PDF resource and use it as you like. As with other online resources, you can like, share, and subscribe to the podcasts. Again, welcome to this Come Follow Me resource. I hope you like it. Hi, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me lessons. This is Brad Constantine, and this discussion is going to be lesson number 48 for the week of December the 9th through the 15th, and we're going to be covering Revelation chapters 1 through 11. Now, because of the nature of this particular section in the book of Revelation, which we're going to be covering, I'm going to do this in a little bit more detail than the, than the other ones. So this may take a little bit longer than what we've done before, so I may have to break this up into individual segments or by chapter, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, at least uh, we'll get through the entire book of Revelation just so that you can see the details and some of the insights that I've gathered over the years, which I thought might be interesting. I want to begin by reading the definition of the book of Revelation that's found in the Bible Dictionary. Uh, it says in here, also known as the Apocalypse, a Greek word meaning revealed or uncovered. Oftentimes we don't think of the book of Revelation as uncovering things. We actually think it's more of a mystery than than uncovering anything, but that's really uh, what it means is to uncover or to reveal. The message of Revelation is the same as that of all scripture. There will be an eventual triumph on this earth of God over the devil, a permanent victory of good over evil, of the saints over their persecutors, of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of kingdoms of men and of Satan. This is the subject on which Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, Peter, and all the prophets have written. They spoke of a day of victory that would come and that the end would be better or more glorious than the beginning. The victory would be achieved through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Such is the theme of the revelation. The details about the beasts, the wars, the angels, the men, etc. contribute to the development of this theme. By a little study, the theme can be perceived even if the details are not completely identified. It may be in this sense that the prophet Joseph Smith said that revelation was one of the plainest books God ever caused to be written. However, the more fully de the details are understood, the greater will be the appreciation of the theme. If we fail to catch a glimpse of the theme, we fail in our comprehension, no matter how many details we are able to understand. Some guidelines to understanding. Uh, one, the revelation seems to be divided into two parts. The first, chapters 1 to 3, deal with uh, things at the time the revelation was given and is addressed to the branches of the church in seven cities of Asia. These three chapters show clearly that the church is that in that day was rapidly going into apostasy. <clears throat> the second part, which is chapters 4 to 22, deals with the things yet future for John, things that had not yet come to pass. It begins with John's time and continues to the end of the world. Accordingly, it offers a, a sort of panoramic view of events through the ages of apostasy, restoration, judgment, and millennium. Number two, apostasy and restoration. Apostasy and restoration are relatively grand gradual events compare the setting and the rising of the sun. It does not become dark or light all at once. 
And then number three, a guided tour. An interesting circumstance in the Revelation is that an angel comes to John and explains things to him, a sort of guided tour. This is consistent with the visions given to Nephi, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Enoch, who had similar guided tours. It appears to be a typical visionary experience. Some of the points of doctrine that are mentioned is a description of the resurrected and glorified Savior, the importance of overcoming the world, the faithful are to be kings and priests unto God and will reign on the earth, Animals are resurrected from the dead, and there are animals in heaven, redeemed by the blood of Christ. Two prophets will lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem in the last days and then be raised. The woman driven into the wilderness and the man-child. The woman is the church. The man-child is the political kingdom of God growing out of the church. The angel with the everlasting gospel, this being is generally identified in the church as the resurrected angel Moroni, but may be representative of all the angels involved in the restoration. All people shall be judged by their works out of the books that are written both on earth and in heaven. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and the new Jerusalem, the city four square. The revelation was received on the Lord's day by John on the Isle of Patmos off the coast of Asia, but not far from Ephesus. The exact date is not known. And the Book of Mormon confirms that the recipient was John, one of the 12. All right, so let's go back into a little bit more about... <clears throat> introduction or explanation of the book too. Um, the, the book of Revelation is foremost a testimony of Jesus Christ. The letters were to be read aloud to the saints in their meetings, much like we read letters from the First Presidency in our sacrament meetings. Uh, he will come and prevail over all wickedness. John sees symbols that represent the church, letters written to the seven branches in Asia, and saints overcome Satan through the atonement. The chief purpose of the book of Revelation seems to be to prepare us for the, for the last days and the second coming. Bruce R. McConkie said, we are, are we expected to understand the book of Revelation? And then responded, certainly. Why else did the Lord reveal it? The common notion that it deals with beasts and plagues and mysterious symbolisms that cannot be understood is just not true. It is so far overstated that it gives an entirely erroneous feeling about this portion of revealed truth. If we apply ourselves with full purpose of heart, we can catch the vision of what the ancient revelation or revelator recorded. The entire vision from beginning to end takes 317 verses, and yet John spends only 11 verses, or about 3.5% on the first 5,000 years of history, which is about 71% of the Earth's total 7,000 years of recorded history. The millennium itself is treated in only seven verses. By far, the largest portion of the book describes the events that immediately precede the second coming of the Savior, and that was by Gerald Lund. Even though the book is written to seven branches of the church in John's day, it was written to the saints of the last dispensation to give the saints an understanding of the events of the last days. The title of the book means to reveal that which is hidden or uncovering of the unknown. <clears throat> we have over 8,000 manuscripts. This is by uh, Hugh Nibley. We have over 8,000 manuscripts of the New Testament, no two of them alike, and the oldest one is from the third century, but all of our documents are copies of copies of copies. Nearly all of them come from the eighth and ninth centuries. Okay, one more thing here. Um, the only way you can preserve a document in its purity is to bury it. Because as soon as you start copying, you start making mistakes, it always happens. You never have a pure document as long as it's, as long as it's in the hands of man. That was, again, Hugh Nibley. This book is apocalyptic, not just prophetic. It deals mostly with how God disrupts the history of the world. We will move from a, a celestial to a terrestrial sphere in an instant. 
we should be the best people to understand the book of Revelation. Bruce R. McConkie also said, In my judgment, the Gospel of John ranks far ahead of those of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. At least John's record of life of, our, of the life of our Lord is directed to the saints. It deals more fully with those things that interest people who have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, who have the hope of eternal life. But even ahead of his gospel account stands this wondrous work, the book of Revelation, or at least so it seems to those who are prepared to build on the foundations of the gospels and epistles and to go forward forever in perfecting their knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom. Joseph Smith said, I make this broad declaration that where God ever gives a vision of an image or beast or figure of any kind, he always holds himself responsible to give a revelation or interpretation of the meaning thereof. Otherwise, we are not responsible or accountable for our belief in it. Don't be afraid of being damned for not knowing the meaning of a vision or, or figure where God has not given a revelation or interpretation on the subject. Symbols are the timeless and, uh, and universal language in which God in his wisdom has chosen to teach his gospel and bear witness of his son. They are the language of the scriptures, the language of revelation, the language of the spirit, the language of faith. They are a language common to the saints of all generations. And that was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. So uh, a little more summary about the book. The book of Revelation is addressed to, to the seven branches. I mentioned that. The prophet Joseph said uh, that, Joseph, that John saw that only which was lying in futurity. Uh, so this makes it of interest to saints living in the latter days. The Lord revealed to Moroni that when latter-day Israel repents and once again acknowledges their covenants, then shall my revelation, which I have caused to be written by my servant John, be unfolded in the eyes of all the people. Revelation was given in a day of severe persecution against the saints. Most likely, the, this persecution was administered by Rome either during the reign of Nero, which was around A.D. 54 uh, to 68, <clears throat> or um, Dominion, which was around A.D. 81 to 96. Dominion, in particular, persecuted those who did not worship gods approved by the, by the state, and many who refused were executed or exiled during his reign. John wrote from the island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony, where he had been exiled for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Along with heavy persecution from external forces, the early church suffered from internal apostasy. Paul said that grievous wolves would enter in among you, not sparing the flock. By the late first century AD, Paul's prophecy had begun become a reality. The warning voice uh, against false teachers and doctrines found in John's epistles and in Revelation 2 to 3 reveals the extent to which apostasy had uh, seeped into the church in his day. The message of Revelation is the same as that of all scripture. There will be an eventual uh, triumph of, of, on this earth of God over the devil and a permanent victory of good over evil. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get started into here. We've already read 10 minutes and haven't started this, this chapter yet, so here we go. Verse 1, <clears throat> the revelation of John. I'm going to be reading from the Joseph Smith translation again, which is going to be a little bit different than the King James Version, so... Uh, that's why you'll notice a difference. <clears throat> the revelation of John, a servant of God, which was given unto him of Jesus Christ to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, that he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. Uh, the things which John saw had no allusion to the scenes of the days of Adam, Enoch, Abraham, or Jesus, only so far as is plainly represented by John and clearly set forth by him. John saw that only which was lying in futurity and which was shortly to come to pass. Revelation 1, 1-3, which is a key to the whole subject, 
Now I make this declaration that those things which John saw in heaven had no allusion to anything that had been on the earth previous to that time, because they were the representation of things which must shortly come to pass and not of what has already transpired. Now I want you to notice a couple words here in this first verse that we read, uh, signified. Notice that, that the angel signifies to John. John is attesting to the authenticity of this epistle. The angel gave John a sign or a token to show he was sent from God. And if I was marking my scriptures, I would put the, the word temple next to that because there's some temple symbolism here. Verse 2, who bore record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. John didn't just see with his eyes, but he saw as God sees. He sees as the Lord wants him to see. So some of the symbolism that we're going to show, uh, we're going to talk about here is what God is how God sees all of this. Uh, now I want you to notice also that John... It's interesting, in John's gospel, he only records seven miracles and seven discourses by Jesus. Um, of course, we know in Hebrew culture that the, set, the word seven or the number seven represents complete or full. In this, in the book of Revelation, beginning with verse three, he's going to say, blessed are they. He's going to be giving seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And they're scattered throughout the entire book. Um, but he's giving seven, similar to his seven miracles and seven um, discourses in his account. So again, John is doing, saying that all of these are to symbolize complete, complete blessedness. Uh, okay, blessed are they who read and they who hear and understand the words of this prophecy and keep these those things which are written therein for the time of the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now, this is the testimony of John to the seven servants who are over the seven churches. In other words, again, seven means complete. This is therefore unto the church today uh, because it's complete. He means us as well, but he's also sending it to Asia. Grace unto you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, who hath sent forth his angel from before his throne to testify unto those who are the seven servants over the seven churches. Christ's throne, located in the temple in heaven, which is John's, John's name for the celestial kingdom. So he sees uh, God on his throne in the celestial kingdom. And then those were actual church leaders of the time. These seven leaders, he's actually sending them to the actual branch presidents. Seven, again, is symbolic, denoting wholeness or completeness. The seven churches may therefore represent the entire church of Jesus Christ, not just in his day, but in ours as well. <clears throat> All right, verse five. Therefore, I, John, the faithful witness, bear record of the thing which were the things which were delivered me of the angel and from Jesus Christ, the first begotten of the dead. In other words, first Jesus was the first to be resurrected, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and unto him who loved us be glory, who washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God. If I was marking my scriptures again, I would put temple next to that. Those holding the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood are kings and priests of the Most High God, holding the keys of power and blessings. And that was by Joseph Smith. Continuing verse 6, uh, unto, the, unto God his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Might and power he's also talking about. Verse 7, for behold, he cometh in the clouds with ten thousands of his saints in the kingdom now, the, the, in, this is an ancient way of saying great numbers. It doesn't necessarily mean specifically ten thousands, but a lot of people. Clothed with the glory of his Father, and 
every eye shall see him and they who pierced him. In other words, every eye shall see Christ, both those living, those dead, and those resurrected, those who participated in Jesus' crucifixion. The greatest fear of the wicked will be to see Christ coming in his glory. He will tell the wicked to stay in their graves and that he will return for them later. They will have fear of his judgment for a thousand years. Continuing verse 7, And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8, For he saith, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. The Lord who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. God wrote the symphony for the plan of the earth, and Christ is the conductor to execute the plan. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, and this I mentioned was a, a penal colony, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, probably the Sabbath day, if that's what he's talking about, and heard behind me a great voice as a, as of a trumpet. Now, he uses the word trumpet because it's just it makes a clear sound. It's, it's understandable when you hear it. You know what it is. So he's saying that the angel's voice was clear and understandable, saying, I am Alpha. And again, this is a symbolism of Christ and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to and I turned to see from whence the voice came. Now I want you to make I want you to notice something about these uh, seven cities first before we go on, that are mentioned there in verse eleven. That these happen to be on the ancient postal route um, that was used at the time. So if you started with the first one in Ephesus, which was the closest to the coast, and then you're making a circle um, in a, a clockwise fashion uh, from Ephesus to Smyrna and so on, all the way around in a circle. And then once you go to Laodicea, you would come back to Ephesus again at the end. Uh, verse 12, and I turned to see from whence the voice came that spake to me, and he turned, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Candlesticks carry light; they don't create it. They function. Their function is to make it available, not to bring it into being. So, by using seven candlesticks to portray the seven churches, to whom John is now to give counsel, the Lord is showing that His congregations on earth are to carry His light to the world. Verse thirteen: and In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. It's about 60 or so years since John saw Christ resurrected uh, and it, that Jesus was clothed with a garment, robes of the holy priesthood, down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. This symbolism suggests that Christ visits his church and spends time with the righteous. Christ taught where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, I am, there am I in the midst of them. Verse 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. This is a similar imagery of the Savior in the vision that Joseph Smith had in the Kirtland Temple when he, he talks about the Savior, when he says, the veil was taken from our minds and the eyes of our understanding were opened. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us, and under his feet was a paved work of pure gold in color like amber. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and the hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun, and his voice was at the sound of, a, of the rushing of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah, saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who is slain. I am your advocate with the Father. 
verse 15, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And we had, and he had in his right hand, again, the, the right hand is symbolic of power, of covenant, seven stars. And these, again, are related to the seven servants. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, the sword represents the word of God. And it's both an offensive weapon and it's also defensive, but it also penetrates armor. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand, like the comforting hand of a loving parent upon a troubled child, upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell. Hades, the place of departed spirits, and of death. To hold the keys is to have authority, power, and the right of presidency. He has complete power over all the inhabitants, all who inhabit the spirit world, including the hosts of evil beings. Verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. This is the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The, star, the seven stars are the servants of the seven churches. So these are the branch presidents. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So at least uh, here in this verse, they give us an indication of what the symbols mean, which is really, really helpful to us in trying to understand better what, uh, what's going on here. Since this has been 20 minutes, I'm going to pause this one, and this will be part one. So chapter one of Revelation, we've, we've finished. Uh, and so this is going to be the end of part one. Um, stay tuned for the rest of this. I hope you're enjoying this detail that we're getting into in the book of Revelation. Um, as Joseph said, that this is the most plain of all the books God ever caused to be written. Uh, and I'm hoping that as we get through this, you'll see that that's true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.